You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Um, it's great to be together this morning. I'm so grateful that Peter um, Drosty led us in a breathing exercise at the beginning of service. I'm feeling a little distracted this morning. All four of my children are sick at the same time. How, how do you figure that? We had some throwing up action all over the house within the last 48 hours. And so my wife is at home right now with all four of the kids, sort of managing. Um, so, Peter, thanks for le- leading us in breathing. Need a little bit of that, you know? Um, it is um, great to have uh, Tommy and Jessica Tang here with us from the Houston Church. And uh, many of you guys know Tommy uh, and Jessica, both from Long, well, Jessica was converted here in Long Beach, and uh, Tommy and Jessica both led campus ministry here for many years, and uh, they are an example of sort of our vision as a church to be a launching pad of local and global disciple makers, and I love that idea. Like, you come here, you will be launched out somewhere, whether it be locally here in the Long Beach area or globally, to have an impact. And Tommy and Jessica sort of uh, personify uh, that as they were here, they were trained, they were sent out to the north region, the L.A. church, to lead campuses there, and now are in Houston, back in Tommy's old hood, leading uh, campus ministry there. Um, we're going to say a special prayer for uh, Jessica, especially she lost uh, her father. This is why they're here uh, in town. Um, but we want to say it's so good to see you guys and uh, welcome home. You know, this is home. Um, I do want to uh, acknowledge Luke and Amanda Donatello uh, right here from the Bakersfield Church. Again, uh, amen. A great partnership in the Bakersfield Church as, as many uh, Long Beach students were launched from here to go encourage the Bakersfield Church. And they never came back. They ended up staying there to help build the church. And Luke and Amanda are doing a great job leading that church. And Luke's mom's here with us, Laura. She's part of our ministry and her husband, Nick. So it's great to have you guys here. It's interesting how the ministers come in undercover because uh, they know I might ask them to preach. Um, but that's a whole other story for a whole other time. Um, um, and then I do want to acknowledge, too, um, we're going to say a special prayer for uh, uh, Robert. I think I saw Robert and Tracy here. Uh, and Robert's dad recently passed away as well. So I'm going to say a prayer and then kind of get into our uh, lesson here. Father, thank you so much uh, for this time uh, to praise you, to honor you. In spite of trial and trouble and difficulty and challenge, we know you love us because of Jesus Christ. We know that we can give our lives away because of Jesus and what he has done for each one of us. Father, we know that as we follow you, there is no turning back. I pray for every person in here who has thought about turning back, that maybe came here today to check in for their last Sunday service. I pray that they would leave here today encouraged in the faith to not turn back. Father, I want to say a special prayer for uh, Jessica and her family as they mourn the loss of her father. Thank you so much for bringing them back home, that they were able to spend this time with their family. Help us as a church family to encourage her, to comfort her uh, during this time of mourning. Father, I also pray for Robert and his family as they have mourned the loss of his uh, father as well. Uh, Father, I pray that 
uh, as a church family, again, we would be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus and go and provide the comfort and encouragement during loss, during grief. Uh, Father, such a challenging uh, time at times, Father. And I really pray that we as a church can be there for our brothers and sisters. God, um, there's so much happening around the world. Help us uh, to be a light as the, as the world gets darker and darker and darker. Even if our light is just, it may feel like it's fading, we can still be a light in such a dark world. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes on him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to introduce to you a, a, a brother who was uh, a student who was baptized uh, last week, uh, Angel Tapia. Is Angel Tapia here? Go ahead and stand up, Angel. Welcome to the family. Amen. Very encouraging to see how God's moving in our campus ministry. And uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, actually during Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to have some of our students come and share sort of their stories. And uh, we've seen several students here get baptized in the past uh, month or so. So just encouraging to see that. You know, a few weeks ago... Um, I talked about what made Jesus angry, what angered Jesus. And, and we talked about how religion that values God, but not what he values, a religion that honors God, but dishonors those who he honors, a religion that prioritizes God, but not what he prioritizes, angers Jesus. He saw this over and over again with the Pharisees as they would argue with him as he's healing somebody on a Sabbath, and their law was, you cannot do any work on a Sabbath. And Jesus' point is, why are you so worried about adhering to a law when this person needs healing and salvation? And it says that he was so distressed by their stubborn hearts in Mark chapter 3. He could not believe that the Pharisees were so about their law Or about the law and not about what the intent of the law was, which is to lead and protect God's people. And my challenge to us at that one a couple weeks ago was that we would not be a church. And I think this is our our, our biggest challenge, that we would not be a church that is so consumed with obedience to the law that we would forget to prioritize why we have the law in the first place, which is valuing what God values. Valuing who God values, relationships, God's purposes. This is why I talked about we focus on intentional relationships and generosity in the church. And during a season that we're coming up on with Thanksgiving and Christmas, I can't wait. I love Christmas time. Although festive, what can happen is we can be controlled by this season, by what the world values And be so forgetful about what God values. So today we're going to talk about what do you value. I'll tell you what you value. Or what we all value. We value money. And possessions. And we're going to talk about money and possessions. And you're here for the first time. You're like, oh man, I came to the money sermon. What you'll find is that Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell. So we're going to talk about it. If Jesus talked about it, we're going to talk about it. 
Now, my wife promised, told me to promise her not to do the money, 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 you know, song. So I'm not going to do that. I wanted to. But Marina was like, don't do it. Please don't embarrass. Don't embarrass our family, please. So I won't do that. Paul, the apostle, planted many churches in the, in the Macedonian world, and, and he had different guys that he would send to, to, to uh, lead these churches or pastor these churches, shepherd, whatever word you want to use there. And one of them was Timothy, and Timothy goes in uh, to the city of Ephesus, and if you read First Timothy and Second Timothy, they're called the pastoral epistles, and these are uh, instructions that Paul gives to Timothy about leading and shepherding a church. So if you're ever wondering, what's Reuben do? you know, in leading a church, just read First and Second Timothy and Titus, you'll kind of get an idea of what a church leader does, right? So I read this a lot of times, and I'm like, I'm reading it as if Paul's writing it to me. Now, um, there's some great principles in here, but one of the things that he writes to, to Timothy at the last chapter here in First Timothy 6, verse 10, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, we've heard this verse in different settings before, and it's actually used in movies or billboards. That money is the root of all evil. It's sort of a popular verse that gets used, but, it, but it's an observation of life. But we miss the point sometimes. See, here, money is not the issue. Money is not a root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money. It's our relationship to money that is the issue. It's our approach to it. You know, people go into so much debt during the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, and there's all these commercials and deals that call your attention to get more and more and better and better. And we say we'll purchase stuff with credit and pay it off in January, only to realize we don't have the funds. And we do it with a sincere desire to get great gifts for family or co-workers or friends or even treat yourself kind of days. But you don't realize the long-term effect it has when we don't have a better plan. And so what I want to do today is sort of start with this thought that the, the, the issue is never money. God gives you money. God gives you resources. God gives you possessions. The issue is not the stuff. The issue is our relationship to the stuff, our approach to the stuff. You guys follow me on this? Now, here's a huge thought that I'm gonna, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, uh, different, different verses here, but this is a big thought I want you to capture and just hold on to, kind of a big, big idea. Jesus comes on the scene, and we've talked about this many times, that he comes on the scene to do something brand new. He abolishes the Old Testament law. He says, I'm going to do something new. And one of the things he says, just a, a phrase that he, he gives to the apostles in John chapter 10 that I love, is that the thief, he talks about Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus' promise. This is Jesus' desire for each and every one of us to have life. And have life to the full. He wants something for you. He, he doesn't, it's not something from you. He wants something for you. He brought life. I love this picture. Caitlin G. captured this a few years ago. and um, This is my daughter, uh, Bella, with the popsicle. And my other daughter, Raquel. 
And I love that. I just feel like that's an image of what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be on the sidewalk, kicking it with a popsicle, laughing our brains out for no reason. That's, it's, a, it's a life to the full. Our issue, though, is that we take what he gives us, and then we want more and more and more, and we don't know how to handle it. It's like, a, it's like trick-or-treating. A lot of your parents took your kids trick-or-treating. I took my kids trick-or-treating, and they came home and dumped out all their candy, and it's like at that moment they want to eat everything. They don't want to stop. We had to, like, put boundaries. As a parent, you put boundaries. Maybe that's why my kids are sick. I let them eat too much candy yesterday. <laughs> now that I think about it. Marina was not home. They kept on bugging me. So, yeah, just have the candy. Eat the candy. Eat the candy. Maybe that's why they're sick. I don't know. Anyway, that's tangent, tangent story there. Um, but, but we're like that. We're like the kids with a big bowl of candy. We don't know when to stop. We need more. And God gives us boundaries. God gives us only how much we can handle, and yet we still want more and more and better and better. And yet God says, listen, I didn't come for you to have that kind of life. I came for you to have life to the full. And it's a different fullness than filling yourself up or your house up with stuff. And so God provides for our needs, but it's not enough. And our society preaches to us and evangelizes us that we need more or bigger or better, and we end up with an unhealthy relationship with the resources God has so generously given to us. Jesus understood this so well that many of his teachings and parables and stories had to do with our relationship with money and possessions. Matthew 13, verse 44, says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This man found a treasure. What a find. It's unbelievable. I've got to have this treasure. But he thinks, he thinks to himself, well, I can't just steal it and take it. That would, that, that, that would be messed up for the, because, because the person who owns the field owns the treasure. But how can I afford this treasure, this field? Well, I'm going to sell my farm and my crops and all my tools and my prized oxen and my livestock. I'm going to sell everything so I can have that treasure. And from that point on, his life changes This treasure captures the imagination of this man. It becomes the stuff of his dreams. He takes every new step with this treasure in mind. He's experienced a paradigm shift in his own mind about possessions and money because of the treasure he's found. 15% of Jesus' teachings in in the Gospels dealt with money and possessions. Again, It's more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. You and I may try to divorce our faith from our view on finances and resources, but Jesus doesn't. The way we manage our resources, our money and possessions, ties very closely to our salvation and spiritual well-being. Check this out. John the Baptist is preaching the word, and he's baptizing people out in the middle of the desert. And in Luke 3... In verse 8 says, 
uh, they ask him, you know, what, what do we need to do to, to repent? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear, uh, produce good fruit, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's like, don't depend on this whole Old Testament stuff. You, you, need, to find, you need to realize God's way, way bigger than, than even that. Here's what you got to do. What, what should we do then, the crowd asked. He said, well, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more money than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Here, John the Baptist is preaching to the crowd of people who've gathered to hear him and be baptized. And there's three different groups asking what they should do to bear the fruit of repentance. And John gives three answers. You know, you guys should share your clothes and food with the poor. You guys, tax collectors, shouldn't pocket extra money. Soldiers, be content with your wages and don't extort money from others. Each answer relates to money and possessions. But no one asked John about that. They asked what they should do to demonstrate the fruit of spiritual transformation. So why did John talk about material possessions? Because our view and use of material possessions is directly connected to our spiritual lives. You know, when I read this and I study this, it's convicting to me. John, the, the, John the Baptist, he could have talked about not being angry with your neighbor or forgiving a family member or stop sleeping around in sexual immorality with others. Or he could have talked about any other great sin in order to show that re, what repentance looks like. But he takes what is most essential and tangible and what people value the most usually in their lives... In that, in that time, in that setting, and he says what repentance for them, that repentance for them would be viewing what they have in a completely different manner. It's of such high priority to God that John the Baptist couldn't talk about spirituality without talking about how to handle money and possessions. And then you and I get into a funk when somebody asks us how we're doing with our money and possessions. We don't get in a funk when somebody asks us about how we're doing with our impurity or our family life or our relational life. We don't get into a funk about that. But you ask me about my money. Walls. See, Jesus, John the Baptist, these guys knew that what we value, what we value is directly attached to our spirit. Our spiritual lives. Luke 19, look at this. Luke 19 uh, records this story. Zacchaeus stood up. He's, he's, he was in the tree, and you know he's a tax collector, chief tax collector. And Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house for dinner tonight. And people are like, what? And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord at the dinner, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man can seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus' radical new approach to money showed that his heart had been affected by Jesus. You guys follow me on this? 
Then, you know, when the church has started in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, it says that the, they sold their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. In Acts 4, verse 32, it says all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that, the, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the sign of the early church. There is such a spiritual transformation that it even led to them viewing what they owned, houses, land, as completely different. It's not mine anymore. It's God's. Let me sell all this and give it to those who are in need. It changed. Their repentance was shown in, 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 in how they approached money and resources. As Jesus, there's another account in Mark chapter 12. I don't have it on the screen, but Mark chapter 12, verse 44, as Jesus is watching people come up to the temple to give money into the treasury, he notices a, a widow. And he, he, he says, man, she... Look at, what, look at this widow. He says, guys, guys, come here. Look, look at this widow. She, out of her poverty, put in everything she had. Two copper coins, nothing, half of nothing. I mean, it's just nothing. She put in everything she had. Jesus noticed the woman's approach. The traveler in the parable of finding the kingdom and the treasure was willing to give up everything. Why? Well, because he understood what he would gain. It's easy to read this passage, Mark 13, or Matthew 13, about the kingdom and the treasure and the field that was bought and miss the phrase that, the, that, that describes the man. In his joy, he, start, he sold everything. We can start thinking that he was dumb or irresponsible or what an incredible sacrifice, but for him, the joy of what he found outweighed any sort of sacrifice he might have felt. If you miss that, if you miss that, you miss everything. What's Jesus saying? No matter how great our earthly fortune, it would be worthless in eternity. So don't waste your life on the temporary, but spend it on the eternal. Amen, church? Matthew 6 Jesus says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where, this is such a huge insight. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, the question is, what, what do you value? Don't store up. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why not? Because earthly treasure, because, because they're bad? Are earthly treasures bad? No. It's because they won't last. The proverb, the proverb writer makes an observation and he says, cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off in the sky like an eagle. That's a funny observation. So this new iPhone I got, Cast but a glance at it, 
right? I get my hope in it. Oh, it's the new, this is not the new iPhone, just so you know. It's just, I upgraded though, so I got a, like a, what is this? Six, yeah, thank you, Greg. G Jobs, right there. Greg Jobs. Uh, This is an iPhone 6S, right? So, uh, cast but a glance at it. Can you believe that? Can you believe this? What, What if this thing got wings and started flying off? Oh, my life! All my hopes, all my dreams dashed. It's incredible what these, the power these things have in our lives. It's a relationship. My daughter, my, my eight-year-old daughter, had to go through the list there. My eight-year-old daughter says she wants for Christmas, what is she asking for? A phone. Can you believe, how would she... Now, I blame one of her friends. I'm not going to say the name. But she wants a phone. That's a whole other story for a whole other time. I can't get into that. But next time you buy a prized possession, imagine it sprouting wings and flying off. Because the reality is, sooner or later, it's going to disappear. Every year there's a new iPhone. And they play us. They play you. You're not in the know unless you have the iPhone, you know, whatever, 8. Now you got the 8. Oh, well, you're not in the know if you don't have the X. Well, when you get the X, what are you going to be doing, carrying, carrying a big laptop around? So I don't know. But, but these people, they play you. They play me. Because they're appealing to our relationship with stuff. Here's another parable for some perspective. Someone in the crowd said to him in Luke 12, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said to them, Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that our wish and desire in life? Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. I'm going to start using that more in my my interactions with people. You fool. Um, This very night. Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The issue here is not saving up or planning ahead. The issue here is not putting all our hope in what is being saved up but being rich toward God. That's the issue. It's not bad to save up and to, you know, it's not bad to plan ahead. You need a plan. In fact, as the, as the holiday season approaches, you definitely want to have a plan so that in January you're not kicking yourself like, I'm drowning in debt over here because I shouldn't have bought what I, what I wanted to buy and I should have saved up for it instead. The issue is not saving up. The issue is, where is your hope? What do you value? Jesus doesn't doesn't give us this warning because wealth might be lost. He gives it because wealth will always be lost. It either leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. There are no exceptions. And so he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, Jesus is all about investments. He's all about investing for your future. In fact, he commands it. Store 
treasures in heaven. He's just telling us to stop storing them in the wrong places and start storing and investing in the right places. What is this treasure in heaven? You know, Jesus gives this answer as the disciples, the apostles, they're struggling to understand Jesus' statement. He, he, he has this interaction with what uh, was referred to as a rich young ruler. And this, rule, this rich guy says, you know, uh, I've obeyed everything. I've, I've kept the commands. And Jesus says, okay, well, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And the guy leaves away sad. He never comes back. Or that we know of, he never comes back. And Jesus turns around to the guy and says, man, it is, it is impossible. It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to come into the kingdom of God. And the guys are like, what? What are you talking about? That makes no sense. And then Peter spoke up and he says this. Peter's like, well, we've left everything to follow you. And truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this. This is what I love in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions. Oh, thanks, Jesus. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last in the last first. What an incredible promise. Isn't this true, though? I mean, it's interesting what he says. He, he uses homes and fields, but then the other categories are all relational. Fathers, mothers, children, sisters, brothers. They're all family-related or relationally related. He says, listen, if you leave all of that, to come follow me, and, and you do it for me and the gospel, you will not fail to receive a hundred times more in this right now. Not, not like, okay, my treasure in heaven, I'll only get it when I'm in heaven. No, no, no. He says, you store it there in this present age. You'll receive a hundred times. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, homes, fields. The kingdom one of purpose, and one of meaningful relationships. And I, I, I think anybody who has followed Jesus long enough can attest to this reality and this truth. If you're investing in his kingdom, if you're investing in his purposes and his priorities, you'll find yourself full of all kinds of relationships. You'll find yourself full of meaningful relationships and purpose and mission. I want to show, I was looking at pictures randomly the other day and I, found, I came across this picture I took last year. All right, this is a little selfie, little selfie stick action right there. This is me and Marina with our kids. It's Wong and Jennifer Mai, who are both uh, educators at Cerritos High School. Uh, and they're here in our, in our ministry. And Gary and Jackie are right there with their two boys. And this is, we all served in the team ministry for several years in the West Side, in the West Church. And uh, before I moved here to Long Beach. And now the Mai's are here, and the Santos's are here, and there's something that bonds you when you're in the trenches working with high school students. And this was before, this is when Marina and I only had one, two kids, and the, and the Santos's and the Mai's had no children. So we're all sort of new families, new marrieds, kind of trying to figure this out. And it's so cool that we're all kind of gathered here now, raising our families together. And they came over last, uh, and they came over, and we had a selfie party. And we, you know, we'll probably do something again during the holiday season here or whatever. But it, there's, there's a bond there. 
I could not talk to these guys for months and then see them and it's like picking up where we last left off or talking about something vulnerable or just challenging each other because we invested in the kingdom during a time all together. Does that make sense? And the men and women who came for our teen ministry are now, many of them are faithful. They're in campus. One of them got, a few of them have gotten married, are not having children. It's incredible. But I love this picture because now we're in the midst of raising children together. You know what I'm saying? And to me, this is, this is an example of, man, I'm just so thankful to invest in the kingdom. Because God multiplies meaningful relationships. We love Gary and Jackie. We love Wong and Jennifer. We have many stories and many memories and many laughter. And it's just, it's an incredible time whenever we spend time together. And it reminds us, wow, it's, it's worth it. I'm sure you have some memories like that if, you're, if you've been following Jesus any, any, any time. I'm sure you have some people like that where you're just like, man, I haven't seen you in years, but man, it's so good. Because remember, remember that one time? Do you see what I'm saying? These meaningful relationships. I talked about this a few years ago, the idea of the treasure principle. I don't know if you guys were, some of you are here, some of you are new. Uh, but the treasure principle is a, is, a, is a statement. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. It's an approach, a principle to live by. You can't take it with you. Anything that you buy during this Christmas season, anything that you purchase, anything that you invest in, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead, on ahead of you. So the question then becomes, what are you investing in? You could actually use the same principle with your time. You only have a certain amount of time daily and a certain amount number of years, God willing, of life. How will you use it? Our traveler at the beginning of the lesson found something that changed his whole view on his possessions. And it says, in his joy, he went and sold everything he had so he could buy that field. This is the heart that Jesus wants when we, when we find the incredible treasure of his kingdom in our relationships with him. Jesus says, give, up, give it all up. Give up everything. Eternity is more important. Everything we have here is fleeting. Let's keep an appropriate perspective on what we are blessed with and realize we won't take it with us when we die. So keep perspective with that new iPhone or that new car or that nice outfit or that, that video game or that kitchen appliance or that remodel on your home or whatever it is. Just have some perspective on it. 1 Timothy 6, sandwiching kind of 1 Timothy 6 at the beginning here, love of money is a root of all evil, right? Those who go after it have left the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. That's basically Paul's way of saying, mo money, mo problems. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of his way of saying it. He said it more eloquently than Biggie Smalls, but, you know, you get the idea. Then at the end... Right after that, we'll close out here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those, I read this a few weeks ago, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Listen, if you had two days of Starbucks last week, you're rich in this world. 
If you had one day, one, one cafe latte or a frappuccino or whatever, you're rich in this world. Those things cost four or five bucks. That's not, it's not a need. It's a desire. It's a want. And if you are able to fulfill that desire and that want, you're rich compared to many in the world. So Jesus tells the young, the young minister, he says, command them. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this same way, look at this, Paul uses Jesus' idea, in this same way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life, again, life to the full, that is truly life. So, we're going to pray for communion here in a minute. But your move, here's your move. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to to consider. What do you value? Because remember Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is as well. So what is it that you really value? Where is your heart? I want to encourage you to talk about this. You know, our family ministry is meeting in small groups this week. I want to encourage you to answer this question this week in your small group. What what do you value? Where is your heart? How do I know? Well, look at your budget. Remember that zero-based budget that we talked about last year in Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey program and everything? Look at your budget. Well, I don't have a budget. Well, that's problem number one right there we've got to work on. But look at your budget. Your budget will tell you what you value and where your heart is. Look at your schedule. Look at your calendar. What are you filling up your time with? What do you value? You know, not everybody's going to be like, man, I don't value the kingdom. There are, a lot of the, there are a lot of people here who value the kingdom, who value what God values. And it's shown But I want you to be real about it. Where are you at? Look at how you spend money, and it will tell you where your heart is. Then after you you do that, I want you to spend some time praying. Just pray. If you're in a situation where you realize you are investing, you're not investing in kingdom priorities, kingdom um, uh, purposes, pray about God changing your heart. If you're looking at your budget and you're like, I pay everything and the last thing I do is give to God, pray about that because God, the proverb observes that the first fruits should be going to God and then everything else. That's the way your budget should work. First, give to God and then I pay my rent and all my bills. Some of us, when you realize what you value right now because you're kind of strapped financially, you're like, I value survival right now. That's what I value. I'm valuing survival. Some of you are just uh, valuing survival financially because you're so you're you're making this much, but you're spending this much, and you need to start managing your finances accordingly. But pray, pray that God sort of motivates your heart, gets your heart transformed because it is a spiritual matter. And then I want you to make a be rich decision. Be rich decision. The first Timothy 6 says, right, command them to do good. So 
uh, and to be rich in good deeds. So I, I, as your minister in the Lord, am commanding you. Do good. Be rich with good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. I don't know what that means for you. What that, you know, think about this season. What will you do this season? What does investing in God's purposes look like for you? Maybe it is a decision to increase your weekly offering to match what your actually your income is right now. Maybe it is to consider, you know what? We just as a church started a downtown ministry. I wonder how that's going. You know what? I would like to give to help that continue going specifically. Maybe it is, you know, uh, uh, two high school students that want to go to Hope Youth Corps and you say, you know what? Anonymously, I want to give this amount to help them make it into the Hope uh, Youth Corps program because we know how much that does to, to, to build up uh, the next generation. Maybe it's um, maybe it's this uh, the veterans you know the veterans uh, uh, Thanksgiving meal. Maybe it's you providing uh, the food for that or, or some of the food for that or whatever it is. Uh, you know we did this clean water clean drinking water campaign, uh, Advent conspiracy the past couple of years, and you know our that's our family that's kind of our thing. We're gonna we're not gonna do it as a church again uh, this year, but. You know, our family's going to invest in that. We're going to, okay, we're going to give up a, a, a Christmas gift and invest in clean drinking water because I want my kids to have a, a mindset outside of I want that Lego toy or I want that phone. Or, do you see what I'm saying? What is your be rich decision? I do want to challenge our teenagers on this because I feel like, teens, are you here with me? Not, not, now they're with me. Teens, are you here with me? Hello? Hello, teens, I want to challenge you on this because you're over here like, I don't got any money. You know, what's funny. I sometimes work on my uh, sermons at the Starbucks over here uh, on Palo Verde in spring. And about two o'clock, that thing gets flooded with high school students buying all kinds of frappuccinos. And in my mind, I think these I bet you anything, none of these kids work for a living. And yet, they're over here spending about five or six bucks on a drink. That's incredible to me. Now, teenagers, you may be like, well, I ain't got that kind of money. But what would be your be rich decision? What is something that you can do this season that will serve somebody else, that will be a light to somebody else, that will uh, bring hope to somebody else? What is something that you can do, whether it be personally or as a ministry? What is something that the teens are going to be like, this is not just for the adults, but we as disciples of Jesus in high school are going to be rich in good deeds. We're going to be generous and willing to share. You know, I want to challenge our college students. We have some college students here who are just strapped. You're eating a cup of noodles every day. You forgot to pay that electric bill. And now you have cold water and no light in your house. Let me tell you something. What will be your be rich decision? I want to challenge you. Consider, think, this season, what am I going to do that will bring glory to God as I serve other people, as I bring hope to somebody else, as I, as I use what God's given me to his glory? If you're here for the first time, you may be like, this is, this is some crazy teaching. Let me just tell you, you, you know that you're here and you know that you've got some financial difficulty or so you, you know you've got some tension 
you know you're li- maybe living at the limits. And Jesus says, you know, if you invest in my priorities, if you value what I value, if you start storing up treasures in heaven, he says he will, he will give you all the relationships you need to make it. He will give you everything that you need. Maybe not that you want, but that you need to make it. Jesus did this for us on the cross. He gave us exactly what we needed. Forgiveness of sin. Redemption. A new life. A new way out. Let's pray as we consider Jesus on the cross for our sins. Giving us a new perspective on how we approach. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.